All right, so we are here. I'm here at the Retro Theater um, <laughs> with our host, Retro, who's actually kind enough to host uh, Desert Pixie and me, and we're about to watch Blade Runner. What, I don't know. Which version of Blade Runner are we going to watch, right? We're going to watch my favorite version, which is the theatrical release, which is the one that was they released to the theater, and then, uh, and then later on they released on uh, Laserdisc, and then when the director's cut came out, then they didn't ship the theatrical version at all and and the, the director's cut was the only version that you could get so it was only just recently when they came out with the special edition that they they made an, an actual uh legitimate theatrical disc that you could watch oh okay so this is actually only recently available recently available i mean unless you went to garage sale and bought a laser disc and a laser <laughs> disc player <laughs> you could find it at the uh the dvd store <laughs> and uh, I don't remember. Does this one have the voiceover narration? Yes, it does. It has the voice. It has um, the voiceover narration, which some people think is a little cheesy, and and I also think that it it sounds a little cheesy, uh, but it does set up a lot of. Uh, it explains a lot of things that are going on, and it gives it sort of a, a Mike Hammer feel, like a, they call it a, like a noir a mystery piece, and then it also has a happy ending at the end. Or a, you know, relative to the director's cut, right? So that that's that's the main differences. And then there's some things added to the director's cut that we could talk about. We can actually watch because I have that too. We can watch the, the the two added scenes. Yeah, we should do that. Maybe after it's done, and you know, we, we can talk about what all that means. We can watch the alternate ending. I think we'll both need to we'll need to call out of work tomorrow to do, watch <laughs> we all might. this stuff. We might, but uh, <laughs> all right. So I actually have not seen Blade Runner in. Uh, I don't honestly. I don't even know how long it's been. Maybe fifteen years. Maybe ten years. Wow. I recently read um, "Do Andro- Do Android Stream of Electric Sheep." I read it last year, but uh, but I guess that's not really even relevant because we're watching the movie. Which... Yeah. Well, I actually I read read it too, but just uh, a couple weeks ago, okay. and it was the first time I've ever laid eyes on it. So that was that was an eye opening experience. Yeah, same for me. And of course, we can talk about all that later. But yeah, yeah. I, I you know I remember lots about this movie, but I'm. You know, it's it's going to be kind of a refresher going through it again. I'm yep. looking forward to seeing Brian James. You know, yeah. the, the cheesy actor. He's he's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. So, and Desert Pixie, your take on Blade Runner before we watch? Well, I don't know that I've seen the movie in probably a good twenty years. I don't even know. I don't. I just remember I did not enjoy it. <laughs> even though it has Harrison Ford in it and sterile Hannah, right? That's the female lead. Uh-huh. Yes. That's all that I remember of the movie, and it being really dark, like visually dark on the screen and. Maybe I yawned a few times when I first watched it. I'm not sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Rutger Hauer, too. Yep. All right. Well, we'll check back in with you all after we've watched Blade Runner, the theatrical release, and maybe some bonuses from the others. All right. We'll be back. we're back i am literally behind the microphone i'm sitting behind the microphone um but that's so that rhett and desert pixie can chime in we have just watched blade runner and uh and actually just as a quick completely a non-related thing we are each um because we're you know old and lightweight we're each going to do one 
one beer tonight, but these beers were actually donated to us by Used Hair, who is in town. He brought beer from Florida that he wanted us to try. I have a toasted coconut porter from a brewery. <laughs> I can't find the name of the brewery. But um, but it's actually, it's not bad. I don't taste the coconut, but it's, it's actually a pretty tasty beer. Um, so there you go, toasted coconut porter from somewhere in Florida. I'm drinking the Orange Blossom Pilsner 2. Dos. Brewed by Thomas Creek Brewery. It's actually from Greenville, South Carolina, but um, it looks like OBP in Orlando, Florida. It just distributes it. OBP. Oh, this is the same. This is Thomas Creek. Is cool. it? Yes. Right. I'm also cool. down. I'm also down with OBP. There you go. You never go PP. No, you're not down with OPP. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah, you know. Explain me. yourself. Okay. <laughs> you guys are so not New Jersey. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm drinking a southernmost wheat, actually a Key West southernmost wheat, and if I can read, you know, I, I said on pot about how I just started to have a need for reading glasses. I believe this says Conch Republic. Nice. And it's it's a very good. I, I I typically enjoy wheat beers, and this is definitely one of the tastier ones I've had. So mm. excellent. Cheers, use hair. Thanks yes, thank hair. you, use hair. And we you know we decided to uh, drink a beer after the movie because if we watched it before Blade Runner, then we would have never stayed awake during the entire movie. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm actually going to have to stay away from Red because he's going to punch me. But uh, <laughs> actually, so we did watch Blade Runner, and um, actually, and within the last year or so, Red. Tro and, and I have all, both read Do Android Dream of Electric Sheep by Philip K. Dick. So we are completely... Who's dick? Yes, and we need to get our dick jokes out. We've, get the dick out. Yes. Although this is a very short dick. It's a, it's a very... You know, there's been some discussion as to whether it's actually a full-length novel or not. I know Vanamon feels very strongly that it's a full-length novel, but it's still a short... It's a short dick. It's a short one. Yes. Um, so we can get our dick jokes out. I mean, go ahead and... You know, get your fill of the dick. Uh, okay, I think we're done. All right, well, actually, we'll have a little bit of silence for you out there to fill in your own dick joke. Um, so, yeah, so we just watched Blade Runner, and I, as I said in the preamble, I haven't seen the movie in a really long time. So I will say, and I, I love to joke about how slow the movie is and, and how it's really freaking slow and dull, but um, I don't know, I was more... I was more with the pacing this time watching it. Um, it is still a really slow freaking movie. But, um, but you know, that's my first comment is about the pacing. I think it's really slow. It takes slow. your attention. You know, like there were a lot of 80s movies that did this to you. <laughs> of course, not just the 80s, but, you know, I'm thinking of Brazil is another movie. I'd always kind of thought this held these two in the same regard, that they're both brilliant, they're both incredible movies, and they're both really slow. Um, I think Brazil is a lot harder to get through. Yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed Brazil as well. Yeah, right. Definitely the same kind of, thema- well, I wouldn't say thematic movie, but the, um, uh, the the tones were similar. Right, a dark urban mm-hmm. future. Yeah, and every time I'm stuck in paperwork hell at DMV or anywhere, I just immediately think of Brazil. <laughs> but anyway, and you've never seen Brazil, right? I've not. All right, we'll have to watch that one. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm glad it's your list. <laughs> um, 
She seems really enthused about that idea. <laughs> so as I said, you know, that's where that was my first comment. I have lots and lots to say about Blade Runner. I mean, there's there's, so there's a lot. Yes, to say about it. Retro has read the huge tome that he's got here with us called "The Future Now: The Making of Blade Runner" by Future Paul Noor, Arth. The Making um, of Blade yeah, Runner. Well, see, I also I also need my eyes sure. fixed. Future Noir, right? Well, and the right. What well, is at more? least you pronounced Noir correctly, unlike <laughs> myself. But that's all right. <laughs> well, the uh, future Neuer book over it's it's a uh, but right. I mean, what is more noir than uh, than Blade Runner? Yep. Well, I guess the like noir My stuff. <laughs> 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 um, so you know what? I'm gonna. We also have Papa John's here. Um, so I'm gonna actually eat my pizza and let somebody else do the talking. All righty. Well, do you want to nope. say anything about yeah. the movie? Go so. <laughs> I don't know, I felt the movie to be very slow, and I had a lot of issues with the numbers, the numbers of androids. Originally yes. there were six, and then one got zapped through some energy fields, so there were supposed to be five that made it to Earth. But magically, you know, the inches of Dick just kept getting smaller and smaller throughout the movie. And I was, <laughs> you know, I was trying to keep track, I was trying to keep, trying to pay attention on what was going on, and... It was snipped, um, it was snipped down to four. It was snipped down to four, <laughs> and then magically there was only two left. You know, so I oh, I, no. I had issues with that. Leon and um, Snake Woman. So that's how it went from four to two. Leon, Snake Woman. Well, yeah, when there were supposed to be Leon, Snake Woman, Betty, Roy, and Pris. And Pris. And they started with six. They started with six. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's how I... Anyway. But you're right. It got snipped down to two very, very rapidly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I struggled with that, but... I don't know. I think it would be interesting to know how this movie would be made in today's today's society and in today's times because it seems like every movie in the '80s just had this dark undertone and just um, long, drawn out dramatic effects on almost every genre of movies. It seemed like in the '80s, and True. I personally paid a lot of attention to the soundtrack in movies. That always gets me and sets a tone for movies for me. And um, I don't know. There was a lot of weird weird um parts of the score that i didn't i didn't think meshed with this movie very well be careful now why Why? actually i'd forgotten until we watched this that this is vangelis who's who's a very famous keyboardy synth guy new age guy from the 70s and 80s i I don't know if he kept going he did chariots of fire he did Mm -hmm. um a bunch of other stuff he had actually a lot of solo albums And it seemed like the theme, I don't, and you know, I'm certainly not the sci-fi expert, but it seemed like everything from the 80s, early 90s, that sci-fi was this post-apocalyptic world, raining cats and dogs constantly and dark, the sun never comes out. And just, um, I, I don't know, I saw, and, and I think, Jack, you and I have alluded to this in the past when we talk about other more recent sci-fi movies, like The Fifth Element. The Fifth Element had some Japanese or Chinese undertones, and they've got the, the lunch ship that comes by and gives Bruce Willis his noodle bowl for lunch. Well, in this 
in this movie, they've got Lopan popping up and giving serving some noodle dishes to. No, that wasn't Lopan. Lopan was, <laughs> Lopan was the guy who made the eyeballs. That was oh, literally. That's right. You're right. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was some other some other Asian Asian guy. But my point is, is it? I don't know. It just. Um... I'm, I'm not sure if you're stealing my thunder or setting me up perfectly because oh. you know that's that's a point I, you know I have to make and I'm you know I want a cute retros right right here on deck. But you know that's yes. I mean the Fifth Element owes it's. Every bit of it, every scene they owe to to Blade Runner, and I can't think of how many movies. I mean, this movie changed everything. This is one of the truly it's most the, important movies. It, it, it's you talk about how the eighties were like. There was a lot of dark movies. Mm-hmm. It's because Blade Runner was the first one, in my opinion, that that did it right. Yeah, it's at the and, tone. And so, so they. It's a very. It's a very visual movie. I mean, it's a slow movie, but there's. So many set pieces and this kind of atmosphere where they do this kind of dark. Yeah, I, I've heard one. Uh, I'm trying to think who it was that I heard talk. I think it was Brian Singer when I uh, went to Comic Con. He was talking about uh, I think X Men, but he was talking about how you know Blade Runner is sort of like the future with 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 drippy faucets. You know, like that. There's this. You know that's wet version of the future where it's overcast and 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 you can kind of you get the environment on you when you walk through it and it, I think that's kind of a, a point that that Blade Runner well there's lots of movies that emulate um, like Citizen Kane after Citizen Kane came out and they had all the different camera angles and stuff Blade Runner kind of was the the, the forebear of the, the dark things that they did in the eighties. Right, and it's. I think it's noteworthy for that reason. Right, science fiction had always been very gleaming and pristine. You know, they'd walk down the corridors of their spaceship, and everything's polished and clean. Mm-hmm. And then, and actually, Star Wars was probably. You know, of course, there there are others, but Star Wars was, was the first high profile where things broke, things were didn't work right, things right. were dirty and dusty. And then, of course, Star Wars is the opposite of of dar- of grim. I mean, Star Wars is very upbeat and cheery, but right, yeah, right. A few years after Star Wars, that's when Blade Runner and Cyberpunk all came in. And Blade Runner, of course, is it's the cyberpunk movie. I mean, The mm-hmm. Matrix, sure, but you know, this Blade Runner is really it. Mm-hmm. You know, if you talk to some, if someone wants a visual representation of cyberpunk, this is absolutely it. Yes, excuse me, a little burp for is you. Is there a cyberpunk movie prior to Blade Runner? No, there really I isn't. I don't think that there is. No, maybe Zardoz. Zardoz no. is no. <laughs> 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 no, I mean Logan's Run. Yeah, there's the well, '70s yeah. did dy- dystopian. Yeah, that's a good point. Differently though, I mean, yeah, but see, that's not because again, Logan's Run was very pristine. It was this pristine, shining, shimmering. Well, it was a model, but I mean, let's forget that there was a model. <laughs> you know, it was it was the sh- shining city. Um, and of course, yes, that was the point of Logan's Run. That it was a shining city, and they were going to get out into the the dirty wasteland. But even the dirty wasteland wasn't all that dirty. No, and you know, also cyberpunk is very. It's very urban, which of course this movie is, and that's yes. I think my favorite character in this movie, which is full of amazing characters. My favorite character is Los Angeles, and uh, it's only six years from now, actually. So this is yeah, Los no, Angeles. I, I was thinking, just thinking about that. Right, actually. it's like 20, 2019 and twenty seventeen. I think was the two dates they they brought up. And it's like, right. hmm, we'll be off world in twenty nineteen. <laughs> of course, you know, Desert Pixies from she grew up in Southern California. Is that that's what it's going to look like? You know, in six years, Probably. I think. Yeah. Oh no! But all the rain. 
A lot of Asians. Maybe like acid rain. A lot of Asians. I mean, you know, it's very Asian, you know, very... And, of course, that's what cyberpunk was all about. You know, the Japanese kind of taking over the the rock. Because in the 80s, in the 80s, we thought that Japan was going to rule the world. Right. And they never, you know, that never came to be. But that's why... And you see that in Firefly 2, the big Asian Mm kind of influence. And, again, I don't think that would be there if Blade Runner has come forth forth and made that an issue. Right. An idea. Right. I mean, you've got... So, I mean, cyberpunk, you've got... The, really the two fisted punch of Blade Runner and of course William Gibson you know the thing the stuff the Neuromancer and Blade Runner I mean I think right. that really set the tone and then you know you were you were set really for Cyberpunk was born and, and that was the tone was set and you know that and that genre I mean it, it and I would, I would people have said that it's, it's dead and gone but I think really it's kind of just found its way into everything else with, yeah you know yeah, with the it Matrix gets, it gets adapted the, by other kind of genre or elements of it you know like Chuck had some el- you know, like the sitcom Chuck mm-hmm. has elements of cyberpunk in it you know, <clears throat> okay. I, I wouldn't call Chuck at you know a cyberpunk show but it has elements of you know your mind and being some synthetic elements being added to the mind and oh, okay. you know, just kind of like a computer synthesis I guess through through living beings, kind of a thing. Okay, yeah, I've never seen. I know Ed from Texas is a huge Chuck fan, but yeah. I've never, I've never seen it myself. Well, it's been off the air for a while, but, uh, but yeah, all, you know, my all my family really liked Chuck, but not for the Blade Runner crossover. But it just <laughs> need to see uh, the elements of uh, you know, I know Kung Fu, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> and and so one thing we talked about a little bit beforehand was that you know. No one was throwing rocks at anyone walking up a hill. Yes, nobody you know, the, got on a treadmill. Nobody watched uh, right. their uh, their televangelists. Right, which means that they you know up a hill and, and just to, for those who the don't sheep know, were killed. Right, there's no electronic. <laughs> there's no actual electronic sheep. And just for for those who have never read the book, um, that's what we're kind of alluding to the differences between the movie and the book. And as Vanamon has pointed out, there's one or two. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, he might have mentioned that once or twice, but uh, you know, there's one or two differences. Um, but yeah, you know, the book to me that that's the major difference. Of course, there's, there are tons of differences, but the main thing mm-hmm. is the book almost seemed to be about mercerism, and and it yes. and it was almost like almost uh, you know that that's that was such a huge part of it, and it's not here at all, right? Um, I, so I don't know what I'll, you know. Another thing we didn't even mention beforehand is that in this movie, it's very different when Deckard doesn't have a wife at home doesn't have this hand-pecking wife who wants a better right. a better animal well he's um i mean in both situations he's a drunk and in right. both situations he's depressed you know and then we could we could talk about i guess what we can get later how how that meshes with the the concept that he may or may not be a replicant <clears throat> himself but uh that's that's <laughs> really the only uh only connection i think the one thing that kind of surprised me because I, this, this is the first time I've read the book. I always meant to read the book because I've been a Blade Runner fan for a long time, and I've been, you know, I've, I've never actually read any Philip K. Dick before uh, okay. to do Android Dream of Electric Sheep. I've seen lots of movies, you know. I've seen The Scanner Darkly, um, The Minor- Minority Report, and a couple other movies, and I've always enjoyed them. And I, I think, you know, the central theme about um, it's like this question that gets asked about where does 
at what point does the artificial mind's conscious you know blur with reality and 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 then what are the moral implications of artificial life becoming uh, sentient in a sense and right. i've always this this blurring of ideas of you know what if memories were artificial and and things like that and, and i think the thing that surprises me upon reading the book is compared to the movies always seem to show that blurred line of of, of, of uh, that's like the central theme How, where does where does humanity begin and end or does it or is it you know like right well, well one thing that, that comes up I think and actually this is something that was in I actually looked at one of the comics and that's a line from the comic that I think is out of the book or maybe but where you know are, are emotions and feeling something that happens to you or are they something that is a part of you so then therefore you know if something's programmed to have feelings is that just as legitimate as right. you know what you and I experience right and, and you're right there's a lot of that Mangan, Mangan you've really got your shit together Jack Mangan you've got your shit together there, well, there's a lot of that in, in, in all the movies that I read, but I think in, in the book, he's actually in the book is is more pro-human because he's saying that uh, like the the androids because I, I know I only I only know most some of this from reading you know the backstory on it, but I know that uh, uh, Philip K. Dick was concerned with empathy and how people were. We're starting to lack empathy and becoming like robots, and so the robots were supposed to be like the imperfect image of mankind. And when he killed the robots, it was like, in a sense, kind of killing empathy, or not mm-hmm. killing empathy, but apathy. And so it, you, you weren't supposed to really root for the <laughs> androids; they were like the the flawed future of what humanity was going to become. And so you were supposed to go against it, and then. All the movies I've ever seen, you know, based on Dick's work, seem to blur the line where you ask the question: Is there a, a moral equivalency between beings that feel and have emotions, or you know, have their own ethics and things like that? Which I think is, frank, for for me, a more interesting concept than humans good, robots bad. Although I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that that's what was going on in the book. Um, but you know, but I think I, I understand what you're saying. But I, I think in the book he was also kind of, I think Deckard struggled with it too. Well, it, it, definitely, there's a moral ambiguity. There's a moral ambiguity in the movie, and there's a moral ambiguity in the book because he, in the book, he's talking about how he has sometimes he has to do bad things to do what's right. Right. And so he was trying to come to grips with the fact that he'd have to kill these androids. And that was part of his salvation, in a sense, because he was denying the things that that were apathetic, and, and he was embracing empathy within humanity. Right. And the and the, the contrast to that, with and to my in my opinion, with Blade Runner is in Blade Runner, it was like he was finding how he was wrong in killing these these androids because they had become equivalent to humans, which I thought. For me, I think that's a more more interesting concept. And I don't want to get thrown out of this room or thrown off the <laughs> message boards, but I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna bring up the movie iRobot because I think iRobot the storyline. Ta- I don't know if it's based off of a book or if it's just a movie. Yeah. I don't really know to be honest. But I thought that movie was 
was fantastic in talking about that exact topic mm-hmm. that you're bringing up. You know, talking, you know, knowing, he, you know, is humanity being human? Right. Only but humans. That one can, and but, then AI. Well, I don't know. Have you seen AI? Yeah, and that movie was long and drawn out. And it's, I just remember it being very sad. It's but, a very sad movie. <clears> and and a, a, one, I think it, it's it's a good, uh, I think it's a great movie to watch alongside this one because it, it points sort of the same things, you know. Absolutely. Do we have a moral obligation to synthetic beings if if they have a conscience that's you know equivalent to our own? Right. It's heartbreaking when his mother basically throws him yeah, out of the car and doesn't want him anymore. And of course, that leads into the iRobot. You know, the Fresh Prince. <laughs> his parents just don't understand. You know, <laughs> you know, that's that's really the problem. His parents just don't understand. Um, yeah, AI, I think, is really good. It's it, it actually, it's you're you're right. It is really slow, and that that's a cyberpunk movie for sure. Um, but yeah, and it does ask a lot of the same questions. It does raise a lot of the same questions. And of course, he, you know, he sits there for eons in a car underwater, you yeah. know, waiting for his mother to come to life. That's the same kind of thing where you're going like, oh yeah, they're they're really not like us, you know. Right. And, right. And Roy Batty, you know, this is I want to I do want to segue into into Rutger, you know. Yeah. For, he, uh, you know, I think that's a great performance, and it's really a brilliant performance from Edgar Howard. Because, you know, Roy Batty is not, you know, the way he plays him and the way the character comes across is you kind of go like, I really want to empathize with this character, but I absolutely can't. Because he's, yeah. he's, he's very inhuman. He's very, you know. It's, well, you, they, they, but you do sympathize. You, stu- you do still yeah. feel some sympathy. Well, I was going to say that um, there's this sort of... Um, like similarity with children, I, I think that there's an idea about how there's these replicants and they have a four-year lifespan and they have short life experience and they have the capacity for, you know, developing you know thoughts and emotions and um, uh, you know kind of their their own code, their moral code, and they in a sense they're sort of uh, gypped out of. You know, they, they don't have a childhood, so they don't have an opportunity to let that develop and come forth. Right. And so you kind of see that change in Batty's character towards the end when he saves Deckard. It's sort of like, you know, at, at the beginning he's he's vengeful and, and he doesn't understand all these bad things that happen to him. And then towards the end he sort of grows to where he's like, you know, I... You know, actually, life is something worth preserving, and I shouldn't be. You know, uh, by saving Decker, in my opinion, when he saves Deckard, you know, he's kind of fulfilling that vision of, uh, you know, I guess experience. He he's come to the experience that he he sees the moral wrong that he's done, and then he wants to do something right before he dies to kind of bring uh, kind of meaning back to his life. Yeah, that's a, good way, that's a good way of putting it. They explain it more in the book than in the movie. Cause I well, they movie. they don't because no. the Roy Batty in the book is a very minor character, and then and he and he doesn't right. have that. He, he you don't see any of the the and none of the androids in the book do that. Rachel knows that she's synthetic from the beginning. She wasn't tricked, mm-hmm. and in right. the end, she gets uh, mad at Deckard for killing Batty and pushes a sheep off of the, his apartment and kills a sheep. To get back at him. That's right. I totally so forgot that. Yeah, it's so it's it's totally. I mean, again, I, I, I think that that Blade Runner sort of pro robot and and uh, sheep is kind of pro human, but there's both moral ambiguities in, in both versions. 
And something you said, actually, uh, when I watched this, this is the first time I'd ever seen it and watched that performance and thought that Rutger Hauer was kind of playing him kind of childlike. You know, yes. there's, there's definitely a childishness to the way that he played the role, which was... All of them. Yeah, they all, yeah, they all were kind of bizarre, right. you know, just the socially way they were. Socially awkward. Socially awkward. You know, you'd, you'd see, like, you know, Chris kind of, you know, mm-hmm. kind of like a child would, you know, like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm this, I'm, right. I'm being this character. That's because that. she's, she's part mermaid. That's right. right you know, that's... <laughs> Tom Hanks was probably in the background somewhere. <laughs> but, uh, but actually an interesting par- an interesting thing to take note, though, with considering how Rutger Hauer's character, how Roy Batty was kind of, a, you know, more than human and this kind of superhuman, that Anne Rice said that what she had in mind for Lestat was Rutger Hauer in this movie. Right. That's why she went batshit when uh you know tom cruise was chosen to be lestat but she said that no and that's an interesting way of thinking about it because lestat is the same type of thing he's he's kind of superhuman beyond human and really just kind of also kind of childlike kind of very immature and and kind of plays kind of plays with humans and it's not really taking anything that seriously and so that's an interesting parallel yeah it is definitely well there's definitely that so that super there's the dichotomy of there's the superhuman side uh, of of the replicants because they're they're strong and they're beautiful and and all this stuff and and then they know that they're going to die you know and so he, it, it, it's an interesting conversation that Roy's having with Sebastian you know where he's saying oh you're perfect you know and and then they meet mm-hmm. um, oh uh, what's his face Terrell Terrell right and uh, and he's basically saying the same thing and then and you, you just kind of see. You know Rucker Howard's expression, like he, he almost feel him rolling his eyes back in his head, like, "Yeah, but I'm going to be dead tomorrow." Right. You know, like you know, you talk about he, he doesn't even say it, but you you, you kind of get the sense in his mind he's thinking, you know, like, "Yeah, you think I'm so perfect, but you've got your whole you know life ahead of you." Right. You know, and and we're all designed to fail, and then we could be great. You know, if we didn't, if you if you had engineered this flaw in us, we could be great. You know, kind of a thing, and right, and it really gets under his craw. <laughs> it gets us mesmerized by those crazy glasses. Exactly. <laughs> Deadpan podcast. Stay a while. Stay forever. Well, I thought it was interesting how Roy talked about all the things that, you know, right before he died, he talks about all the things that he's seen and all the places that he's been, kind of, you know, showing up, Deckard going, I am superior to you because right. look where I've been. I've been off, you know, off of, you know, the moon Orion or wherever he was mm-hmm. at. Right. That's a great... Off the shoulder of Orion. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, that's you know, great dialogue, too. That's oh, some, it's that's some classic stuff. just yeah. awesome. Yeah, and there's if a couple... only you had seen what I'd seen with mm-hmm. your eyes. I mean, this... Yeah. Let me tell you about my mother and I mean it's just all this one of the most quotable movies ever ever yes. made, I think. And of course, you know, when the first viewing of course was six with you. Yeah. It's, it's wake up, time to die. Yeah. And of course that's Brian James, who's one of my uh, one of my favorite B movie actors ever. Absolutely. That guy is fantastic. He's done so many piece of crap, awful, horrible, horrible, <laughs> crap ass science fiction movies. But you know, this was definitely his his big moment and he's just such He's such a good actor for this, and he, that scene, all the few scenes he has are just so powerful, right? The, yeah, I think so. The, let me tell you about my mother, and and then also, you know, when he's beating the crap out of Decker, I mean, it's just it's just so perfect. Yeah, well, I, I love that that he has that like 
kind of cheesy crazed look on his face. Yes. And he just his eyes bulge out of his head and he's got, you know, Harrison Ford by the neck and then just he takes this long, slow back in and he just goes whack whacks him. And then he asks him a question and his eyes are just get more crazy and then he whacks him again, you know. I it's so over the top, but I I eat it up every time I see that scene. I just chuckle on inside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, my friends and I used to to kind of eat up these B movies. We would just and he would just show up. We wouldn't even know he's in the movie. He would just yeah. show, walk on camera, and we'd all cheer like, "Oh my God, it's Brian James!" You yeah. know, like, like where's Tim Thomerson? You know, we would just love that stuff. But uh, so I don't know. I I do think, like I said, I mean, I, I ridicule this movie sometimes for being long and slow, and I recognize that it. It does. It's a huge departure from the book that it's, oh, it's should, it should almost say you know inspired by instead of based on. Yes. But as I said, I think it's really an important movie. I think its importance is underrated. I think people, like I said, I think people don't realize how influential it is. And just and you said it yourself. It's, it's a gorgeous movie. The way the way That's the look great. of it changed everything. I mean, we've never seen anything like it before. Yeah. And well, it's the, the opening shot of Los Angeles. I mean, it's like okay, movies are, are right. forever changed right here in this opening sequence yeah absolutely absolutely i remember um i think the definitive moment for me was in college but i, I actually knew about uh well i had a a, a cousin that was uh, into comic books and he was and when i was 12 he was talking about oh did you hear about the new movie coming out and, uh, oh what's that and it's like blade runner and it's based on so-and-so's book and all this and i didn't know anything about it you know he could have been talking japanese for all i cared <laughs> and i was like well so he, he kind of piqued my interest in it, and then, uh, and then I remember talking to my dad about it. He's like, "Oh, it's some you know negative you know post-apocalyptic thing. Why would you want to watch that?" Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think we both ended up watching it at the same time. You know, we we did. I never saw it in the theater. I think we ended up watching it on TV, you know, like on HBO or something. And I, and my dad actually fell in love with it. Which was surprising to me. Like after he talked all this crap about it, he was like, "Wow, that was really good." And then I just had kind of a fondness of it. And then, uh, and then fast forward, you know, when I'm like 19 or 20, and uh, I was at college in studio, and I, we were I was staying up late with this guy Tor, and uh, and he was like, "Oh, they're they're showing Blade Runner at the midnight uh, screening at the student union. We should go see it." It's like I love that movie, and I'm like. Oh, yeah, I'm up for that. So we went, and I saw it on the big screen. That's the first time I'd ever seen it on the big screen. And I was, like, awestruck. You know, I was just like, you know, I, I appreciated the visuals on, on, on the small, you know, television when I saw it mm-hmm. on HBO. But to see it on the big screen, for me, was, was like, oh, I knew I liked this movie, but I didn't realize I liked it that much. Mm-hmm. And I think, and that, that's kind of why I wanted to, show off my big TV with, with this so you, you get that kind of big you know, you actually that see big, the visual yeah. uh, representation, you know, that, that it is you can, wow. you can actually get a sense of you know, how uh, masterful it is with Dick, I mean, you should always go big. Absolutely, really. I mean, bigger, that's, bigger that's, is better. Bigger right. is better. <laughs> you know, I had to go there. So, do you have any any um, any final thoughts? So I, you know, I guess my my question about understanding why this movie is so influential, it's because it's the first of its kind. So if this movie came out, you know, in two thousand, after Twelve Monkeys, after yeah. Fifth Element, after um, right. and ten million shitty 
movies. Yeah. Okay, neither of those movies are shitty. <laughs> no, those are good movies. I'm saying and in addition to those 10,000 And shitty. Matrix and all that stuff. This movie would not would not hold as much water. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, it definitely, I mean, visually, I don't think it, as many people would notice it because, you know, relative to what had come before, obviously. But there's still, I mean, there's lots of things. There's the, the, the Asian aspect to the movie that you see, you know, imitated countless times now. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's still things that, that wouldn't be in place in, in movies if Blade Runner hadn't been there at the beginning. This, right. is, this is the start of Cyberpunk. Right. Yeah. So there's still some elements. I think, you know, uh, you know, people that would take a maybe a stronger look at the film would would notice some of the things that weren't present in, in past movies because there's just so much influence in Blade Runner that, that carried forward. Yeah, I would agree with that. I, yeah, I, th- I mean, I, I don't think it's only good because of, of what it influenced. I think it's a good movie. But yeah, I think it... I mean, those other movies wouldn't be what they are if it wasn't for this. I mean, Heavy Metal is another one exactly. that had the same, the same city. Yeah. So, Escape that? from L.A.? Yeah. I think actually no, that, Heavy that, Metal was, was, was one of uh, <laughs> the movie, was or the magazine was a big influence to uh, Ridley Scott when he right. did Blade Runner because he was saying on the set, I'm, I'm going to make heavy metal. Okay. Uh, because see, he was influenced by, I, I don't think the the animated film had come out yet. It, it might have. Yeah, I don't know what year that came out. But the magazine was certainly around where they had the whole... It might you know, have. We could Google for it. But we yeah, won't. maybe we go look at that later. But yeah, and Escape from L.A. never happened. There was actually never a movie called Escape from L.A. There wasn't so, with Kurt Russell? No, it never happened. It never happened. There was Escape from New York, but... They never made a sequel. Right. Call from Lewis. <laughs> okay. I think that's our cue, isn't it? No. <laughs> well, we have to talk about uh, is Deckard a uh, replicant or not? Well, he's not. Yeah. Thank you guys for being on. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. the end of the show. Um, that's the end. Thank you very much. No, no. I, you know, we can certainly get into that. I, I, well, we, me, have to, we have to get into that debate. Okay. Recorder. And then I say, and then I say deadpan podcast, the deadpan Deadpan is the way. <laughs> Absolutely. It's so hard. Yes, isn't it, though? Ready? Sure. Okay. This is Jonathan Colton, and you're listening to Jack Mangan's Deadpan Podcast. Deadpan is the Emmer effing way, Emmer effers. Should be great. Um, I think, well, you're right. I mean, now, actually, let's. you should start that and talk to well, us okay. about, well, about do, the... Do you want the whole background yes. on it? Okay. Yeah, go for it. And actually, I mean, I was going to say, you tell us about... Okay. Tell us what you told... Desert Pixie and me about the well, uh, about well, the, the, well basically if the different if, film versions. If you well, if you start with uh, do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep, there's a point where Deckard, you know, basically asks the question, you know, how would I know if I was a replicant or not? Right. And then he takes the Voigt comp test, and and he's not. And right. Then it's, it's an answered question. He's like, so he's human. Right. And uh, Hampton, I've got to say his name right. Flancher, I believe his last name's Flancher, who or Fancher? wrote or Fan, whatever it is, <laughs> Hampton. But he he wanted to write a screenplay for Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep, and so he wrote it, and then and uh, and then started talking to uh, Ripley Scott about it, and then he brings up the point about oh well, there's a point in the book where you know. Deckard, you know, contemplates whether he's a replicant or not, and then, and according to Hampton, then Ripley just lost his shit. I mean, he was like, 
that's it. Deckard's a replicant. He's totally a replicant. <laughs> you know, and, and Hampton's you know, kind of looking at him like, what? Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, he's going to be a replicant. And so there's this, there's once, well, there's a couple scenes, but in the theatrical version, there's a scene where Deckard's standing behind Rachel and you see the glow of his eyes like all the synthetic things have. But it's it's less pronounced. Mm-hmm. Right. And when Hampton said, when he saw that in the theater, he didn't know that, that Ripley had done that. When he saw that, he, he was like, oh, we were going to leave that, you know, ambiguous. You know, and, and Ripley's basically come out and saying that he's a replicant. Mm-hmm. Right. And then in the in the director's cut, they uh, they add the scene with the, with, or, or Ripley added the scene of, of uh, the unicorn, dream. the unicorn dream, yeah. which basically, you know, was the key to that they knew what his, his dreams was. So he was a, a replicant. So that's, you know, that's basically the story with that. Ripley, you know, goes on, you know, to this day saying, "Yes, he, Deckard's definitely a replicant." I, I personally think it's a big boondoggle to the entire story. I, I find that idea is, it, it's, it's, <laughs> it's kind of a, a gimmick. In my opinion, because the the, the bigger question of whether uh, whether we're ethically responsible for beings that we create doesn't really matter if Deckard is human or not, mm-hmm. and it's just and and then there's all these inconsistencies of well, if he's a replicant, you know, why does he have the memory of, of being divorced from his wife? You know, why is he depressed? You know, who built him and who, who put him into, you know, why is the uh, uh, the police department trying to hire him and acting like they always knew him to go hunt after these guys? That's right. There was the crazy stuff about the, the fake police department in the book. Yeah, there was. Oh there was God. the fake police department. But there... Um, well, that's one thing. I'm sorry I'm going to totally go trample ahead. your point, but this is one thing that Philip K. Dick always did, you know, it's a scanner darkly and, and this, and even Total Recall, it's... It's just paranoia. You know, yeah. This is where, like, you know, just being completely unsure. You can, who can you trust and, and what's... So yeah. I'm going to turn you back, turn it back over to you. I just wanted to jump in and point that yeah. out, too. Well, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> <laughs> Interlude. Totally derailed, derailed me. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I think it's... It's it's an interesting. I, I think the question is interesting. Am I a replicant? I don't think the answer is interesting. He he is he is or he isn't. I think it makes more. I think the movie makes more sense if he isn't an android. I mean, there's all these cues that that Scott put in to indicate that he was, but I don't think in terms of the story, I I, I don't I, I I'm not like oh my god he's a replicant. I mean, there's the, I don't feel that. That kind of surprise, you know, or or, or any, I think it's just kind of a, a, a kind of gimmicky. And yeah. you know, if you've seen Prometheus, you know, kind of the, Scott can be kind of gimmicky at times. So it's not like he's uh, beyond uh, uh, yeah. making mistakes. And of course, there's there's plenty of mistakes in this movie. It's not a perfect movie, <laughs> right? Like with the with the six <laughs> six replicants that they talk about at the beginning, and there's actually five, and then. Right, and of course the stunt people. And that's, the, that's the, the men one. stunt people wearing the leotard, you know, as Pris. <laughs> right. Then, and like then a, all of a sudden... <laughs> right, there's this, like a, a beautiful woman running through glass, and suddenly it's a guy with like a cigar. Guy and, drag. And, 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 like, <laughs> a big mustache and like a, a, a curly wig. But anyway. Yep. Again, I derail. So, <laughs> no problem. So, 
Go ahead. You have uh, I mm-hmm. any no further points or questions? No. Uh, what what would it do you think about the replicant thing? As far as as far as whether he was or wasn't, or oh, did no, you get any I sense don't think, of? No, I didn't think he was. In fact, I would have never. Nothing would have ever made me, and I'm usually good about picking up on cues, going, oh my god, he's an android, and I didn't get that at all. But I, I know the scene you're referring to with his eyes kind of glinting, uh-huh. but no, I didn't get the, I didn't get that at all. I think there's a lot of backs, I think they're, I think the writers could have taken a lot more um, leeway with some of the backstory and right. getting further into these androids and really understanding them, I don't know. What did you think of the the voiceover? Because we saw the theatrical version. Oh, I like the, the, I like the, the voiceover, voiceover and, and the happy ending. I, well, the voiceover, yeah, those are two good questions. The voiceover, my first reaction was, I think Harrison Ford kind of hammed it up a little bit. It would have been better if he did it a little bit more noir, a little bit yeah. more low-key. Um, but And actually, I think it's not necessary. I think there are one or two points where you're kind of going like, huh, and you're thinking, like, is this what it means? And then he comes out and says, this is what this means. And you go, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah. I guess, thank you, voiceover. Um, yeah. So that's my thought on the voiceover. I guess you're right. We should talk about the the ending too. But yeah, well, I, I would say I I I think at the when I first saw it in the theater and I I saw the voiceover, I think I was a fan of the voiceover. And then the more I've seen it, the more kind of hammy it, it seems to me. And it does kind of explain a few things that, like that probably don't need explaining. There, there's the, I think that right. the line at the end totally fit after. Especially if they could have recorded it so it didn't just sound so bad when, when they recorded it. But what he says after, you know, Batty, you know, says his, you know, final thoughts before he dies and then he, he wraps up. I think that's that's nice. And I think the beginning when he talks a little bit about the entry, it, it's nice. Uh, now, that's something they added. They had when they did the first work print and they showed it to everybody and everybody was kind of like, huh? <laughs> and, and like that's dark, and so the producers, you know, kind of pressure, pressured him to add the voiceover to kind of explain some things, and they also kind of pressured to add the happy ending at the end where they go north. Um, that's where I, he I, wants to go on the book too. He wants to go north. Yeah, right? he wants to go north, and, I, and to me, it I, I didn't find any inconsistencies with with the idea of going north because it's not like they're going towards civilization; they're like going towards Alaska, and it's just like all this tree pristine area but i mean that's not the places that got nuked so i don't find it a stretch to think that they would go away from humanity and and try to just hide out north where it was less you know uh contaminated you know i I guess there's the idea of that radiation has killed everything but Mm -hmm. again i think that would be more localized so to me that's not a stretch okay what about the uh wait you have a point <laughs> you got room. That's all right. No, I think I think the you know for someone who's doesn't know anything about the movie, anything about the book, I think the voiceover was was helpful. And I think Harrison Ford was hammy the whole movie. I thought his acting was just <laughs> comical the whole entire movie. It was silly. <laughs> and as far as the happy ending, I mean, the whole movie, I thought that if they were going to go anywhere, why didn't they go off planet? Because the whole movie, all we're seeing are advertisements for going off planet, going off planet, going off planet. And so I don't understand why those two couldn't go off planet if it was a much better, right. better life for everybody. I didn't understand that, why he never wanted to go off planet, right. what was keeping him here on Earth, and why was he so downtrodden and hammy. Yeah. I think in the book, um, they talked about going off planet, but I think it, it kind of went against the the religion of Mercerism, 
where they thought that they were abandoning the planet. But then also they talked about how the androids were off-world and they were depressed because they said, you know, you think it's bad here. I mean, it's not any better off-world. Right. But again, they don't really explain that in the movie. I think his wife really wants to go off-world and he doesn't want to go. Yeah. She's really, you know, again, she's her... His wife, I don't even know if she's on screen at all in the book. I mean, and she's just, you know, the hen She's kind of there at the beginning and kind of there at the end. They have that whole weird thing about, you know, I'm going to dial you. It's sort of like a sleep number bed, but it was your emotional state. Right, right. I'm going to dial in a 10, which is like restful contemplation. It's like, no, I'm dialed for depression now. It says, Mercer says that I'm supposed to have an hour of depression. Right. So I've, you know, think about things. (laughs) So pretty weird, weird stuff. Yeah, and and uh, and the exercise machines where rocks get thrown at you. <laughs> Hello, just letting you know that all of us pixies listen to Jack Mangan's Deadpan. That's right. All of the pixies love Jack Mangan, and Deadpan is the pixie listening way. But I think you know, of course, that goes back to what something we talked about earlier about you know that people kind of not having not having real emotions. I mean, the humans don't even have their own emotions; right. they're getting dialed in by this machine. Right. Um, but it's soma, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, right? Like it's they brave the world. <laughs> right. right. Well, that's you know that's an interesting thing to bring up too. But um, um, yeah, there are no epsilons. Right. But uh, but anyway, so before I go <laughs> off on change. that, yeah, before I go off on that thought, I think I'll just answer your question. I think um, for me, the I think the. The happy ending is fine, but I think giving her, like, oh, she's different and she gets to live forever, that's well, that's freaking, that's a cheap cop-out to make, you know. I, you I don't think they even, they needed to say anything about it. I think they could have just shown them, you know, right. escaping north and they didn't have to say anything about, I mean, that 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 seems pretty hackish right. at the very end. Right, it's fine. I mean, it's actually a nice little bittersweet thing to think, like, oh, well, that's great. You know, too bad she won't live. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, but, he was wrong, <laughs> right? Like screw Edward James, almost. You know, she's gonna live forever. I'm like, well, great, thanks. What a what a buttery, you know, frosted yeah. ending. Now, you know, they they didn't need to say that she's gonna live, which would have been like a nice, bittersweet thing. Like, I'm gonna go and be yeah, with, I, be I with the woman I love until she dies. You know, within four years, it right. would have been better. Yeah. Now, to me, the we didn't watch the director's cut version, but to me, it, it seems abrupt. After, if you've seen the theatrical release and then you watch the end of of uh, the director's cut, they run into the elevator. It, it, it shuts, and he looks at her, and and then the credits go up, and you're kind of like, huh? Well, <laughs> like, so what are they doing? You know, <laughs> you, you don't know how they're in peril, or you don't know how they're in safety. It just, it's just kind of like this. Huh? I mean, I don't think there's as much resolution. So I, I, I don't necessarily prefer the happy ending because it's happy. I prefer it because there's a resolution, mm-hmm. right. in my opinion. But uh, again, I, I agree with your point. I think that the, the the exposition on how she was special, you know, well, that was the other thing I, I did want to bring up in the movie is I never understood. At the very beginning, they talk about how you know after this mutiny replicants weren't allowed on earth under penalty of death and then they had that replicant that was at the Terrell corporation and they never explained that like yeah she's there I mean we could all be executed because she's here but yeah I think she was a secret I think that was I think (laughs) that's what it was was. (laughs) and he was obviously like kind of an eccentric too yeah Um, 
Um, and actually, he yeah. So, so I think that's I, I can get away with that, I, okay. I don't, I, or I can stomach that. I don't think that that's. I don't think that's a stretch. I think there are other things that are stretch. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think you know the only other my final point is I just based purely on the film is that uh, I think the the Batty versus Deckard sequence is a bit long. I mean, you know, the whole movie is long and slow There's, and drawn out, long. but then that, then you're kind of like, okay, we're going to have some resolution. And then it's just a really long time of them kind of sort of going at it, but nothing really happening. I mean, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's all well made. I couldn't say, oh, cut this part, cut that part, but it's, it's, it's pretty long. But I mean, I guess that's the, that's, that is probably the biggest strike against the movie, more so than, you know, stunt doubles that look ridiculous. Oh, right. And, because actually, I mean, special effects are, especially considering how how old the movie is, special effects are actually pretty amazing. Yeah, um, they did quite a bit with the budget that they had. Right, I think no, I think a lot of it is the, my only my only beef with it is um, is that it's slow. And as I said this time around, I really didn't I didn't find like I was falling asleep. I think it's good. That's that's <laughs> I think that I'm I'm out of things to say for now. I'll talk to uh, I'm going to talk to Ed about it too, but I'll try not to repeat myself the whole time. But I'm. You know, right? You have a lot to say, and I definitely don't want to cut you off. So no, well, you know. I mean that if anybody else wanted to talk to me about it, I'd be. I can, I can <laughs> go. I can go on about Blade Runner forever. So I definitely don't want to overstay my welcome. <laughs> no, that's, that's. I think I hit all my major points. Okay. Like a, I mean, I I don't think uh, Deckard being a replicant, uh, it doesn't matter. I I don't think that uh, there should have been so much of uh, emphasis put on it. Uh, Happy ending again. I like it for its resolution, not necessarily because it's happy. And I do prefer the the film over the book. So that's three points. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the book and the film are so different. I think they're just entirely different. I recommend them both, but they're different experiences. Um, and you can say that's a cop out if you want, and I don't care. So, <laughs> so you get the final word. Looks like. Word is bird. <laughs> Where no. is the bird? Yeah, no. Is that about the owl? No, I like the owl. You know, I would that you know I would have. I guess another tie into the nice book may, maybe could have been, you know, more about the animals and including yeah. more of the animals. But you know, that's all. Now you said uh, before we watched. You didn't say on pod, but you'd said that uh, you remember not really being particularly fond of the movie, right? You still have I'm a still not very fond of it. Okay, <laughs> didn't know if it it changed yeah, or no. pretty much the same sense of it. For the most part, I don't like the post-apocalyptic world unless you know there's some deep thought. And I'll quote, you know, not quote, but I'll bring up Twelve Monkeys again. And I remember being riveted by that movie when I saw it in the theater and thought it was very profound. That's yeah, a very know. good movie. Yeah, that's a good movie. This movie I don't find to be profound in, in any way. Hmm. But you know, I also. I also didn't didn't um, acknowledge didn't really not acknowledge sci-fi, but didn't didn't really know its lack of existence in the eighties. I didn't realize it's grown since the eighties into what it is now. I think I just have always assumed it was just as big as it is nowadays. Yeah. I had no idea yeah. that it was kind of the start of. Yeah, it was yeah. actually a, I think a box office failure when it came out, and then on, when it got yeah, on video that. was when it got its following. Yeah. yeah, although this really even predates video. I mean, right? Yeah. In 1982, we were yep. just finally starting to rent our VCRs and VHS yep. tapes. We weren't even sure if we were going to go beta or VHS. <laughs> yeah, and that's that's another thing. You know, that's there's not a lot of anachronisms. A lot of times you get, 
you watch or read old sci-fi and there's a lot of like oh the soviets are going to come you know right. or i right. need change to talk on the cell on the on the payphone and there is <laughs> yes there is a payphone sequence but even that doesn't feel like like completely like uh, you know just a, a mistake no you know no, based you know so I, I think that's another thing that that this does well all right i'm done talking <laughs> All right, well, thank you, Rhett, and thank you, Desert Pixie. You know, thank you guys for, for being on and for talking Blade Runner for our Rutger Palooza, Hannah Palooza. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, but thank you, guys, and uh, everyone else out there, you're absolutely encouraged to to take issue. Uh, hopefully, we did piss you off so you can record your own segment and say, like, no, you're absolutely wrong. He is a replicant. You guys are all stupid. Um, so there you go. All right. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, Rhett, for yeah, having us. You're welcome. Yes, thank you, Rhett, for hosting. And thank you, Use Hair, for supplying the, brevis, for the beverages. Beer. Yes. <laughs> all right, I'm going to stop. Okay. Call it. Now she's mocking me. <laughs>